0: For this morning, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Today we begin the book of Mark, and I've been planning this for a number of months and really excited to get here, but Mark reveals much about the life of Christ. And the title of the series there you see on the slide, Even the Wind and the Waves Obey Him. A a great picture, I think, as well, to symbolically understand what what this book is about. But I want to begin first by actually giving you an application that has to do with the introduction of the book. So if you're following along in that bulletin insert there, I, I said this, application number one. Jesus is actively looking to bestow grace and to transform our lives, Now, let me introduce you to the man who wrote this gospel and how this applies to him. His name is Mark, and he's first mentioned in connection with his mother. In Acts, actually, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is a filled chapter that has, it records the the death of James, the brother of John. It records Peter, if you remember, getting arrested and put in prison. And it also records Peter being rescued, and an angel comes and takes him and and lets him out of that prison. And after prison, that prison, uh, Peter gets out and he goes to the house of Mary. And there was Mary's son there, and his name was Mark, or some would say John Mark. And this Mark went on to write this gospel. But the scriptures also record this, that when Paul and Barnabas went to Antioch, Mark was with them as a helper, and he helped them on that. But he also then went on the first missionary journey. And that's recorded in Acts chapter 13. And catch this, something happened on that journey. The scriptures doesn't tell us what it was, but Mark abandoned. He left Paul and Barnabas and went home. And later on, what we see is evidence that Paul had great disappointment in Mark. See a little bit later on, Barnabas comes along and says, "Let's invite Mark along to our second uh, missionary trip." And Paul goes, "Absolutely not, no way." And it, you understand that tension there over Mark between Paul and Barnabas created a split in their relationship. Mark, or Paul couldn't trust Mark. They couldn't agree. Now, catch this. The good news, Jesus was not done with Mark. And he repeat, he actually reappears in the scriptures and Paul actually talks about him in the book of Colossians and, and even adds this. I'll just read it. It's not on the screen. You've received instructions about him, which is Mark. And if he comes to you, welcome him. See, by the end of even Paul's life. Paul had complete confidence in this young man and actually respected him I believe as a leader. See history tells us sometime along the way that Mark I don't know if you realize it gets connected to Peter. Maybe it was that night that he went to prison, or after prison, Peter went to his mother's house. Maybe that was the connection there. It really doesn't say. But there's evidence that Peter had a disciple-making relationship with Mark. And the Holy Spirit used Peter and those Peter's encounters of Jesus to give the information to Mark for Mark to write this gospel. I don't know if you really realize that the history of that. He was teaching Mark what to observe and what things, what things that Jesus wanted for us to obey. So it was Mark's understanding through the lens of Peter, this relationship with Peter, where God orchestrated through the Holy Spirit, gives us this book. But do you catch the grace here? Mark was young. He was probably immature. He abandoned these two men on a journey. Now think with me just a second, what would it have been like if we would have known the Apostle Paul, a spiritual giant, and the spiritual giant looks of us and, and would say this, I don't trust you. You're not ready for ministry. You're not far enough along to go with us. I, I think of that and go, I'm not sure it could handle that. But, 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 God wasn't done with Mark. The Holy Spirit continued his work. Transformation took place. And Mark was propelled to write this second gospel. Mark experienced the power of the cross. He experienced the grace of God. He experienced a relationship with Peter where someone didn't give up on him. And Mark became a different man than what he started out from that first missions trip. But he go, isn't that good news for us? When we fail, when we get disappointed with how our lives are going. See, God is in the business of changing people's hearts. And i gotta, I got to say this. There is no one here or anywhere else that no matter what a person has done, no matter how far they've wandered from God, God has the desire and the power to restore to rebuild, and even to use somebody on the mission of making disciples. It's never too late. Why? Because God's power is infinite and it's active. Matter of fact, let me read you. I don't have it on the screen again, but just let me read you where the title of this series comes from, from Mark 4:41. They're in the boat and they become very much afraid and they said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Speaking of Jesus... So if Jesus has the power over the wind and the waves, it is never too late for him to work in our lives and to change us. Now one more piece to the backdrop of this. In this gospel, one of the things you've got to understand, it's not biographical in nature and chronological in that sense. The way it's written is it takes snapshots, that aren't necessarily in order. People want to compare the Gospels and they come, Mark, why is there a different order? Well, Mark's intention was never to write a a chronological life of Christ. Matter of fact, he actually skips his childhood and and even his birth if you compare that to Matthew and to Luke. So that is the context, the setting of this man whose life was changed dramatically. Let's dig into the text. I want to read the portion of Scripture for this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now here's where we need to dig today. I want to look at verse 1. And really dig here a bit. I don't want to put that back on the screen, just this verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, the first words, the beginning of the gospel. Now, if you've grown up in a church, you hear those words, the gospel, and they're familiar words with us, and literally it means good news. But let me give you just a little bit more context to that word in its understanding. It actually comes from a Greek term that's associated with a military context. And then, as you know, in the Middle East, there was lots of wars and it still exists even to this day. But when an enemy was coming upon a city, what obviously the, the, the city would do is they would send out their soldiers to meet the enemy away from the city. And they would do battle out, out trying to, you know, to avoid coming closer to the city. Well, if they won the war, if they won the battle, what they would do is they would send a messenger back before the rest of the soldiers came back. And that messenger would run to the city and would proclaim a message that's something like this. The victory has been won. That's the word Gospel. To proclaim that the victory, the enemy's been defeated. You know, you think of that setting of a real army. We're not going to die. We're not going to be slaughtered. Our lives have been spared. See, the first words of this book by Mark, the Gospel, is a type of proclamation, and he starts here, the book, with the good news that Jesus has won. He's the victor. Our lives can now be spared. He won the battle for you and for me. And you understand, this is an important piece for Mark. Matter of fact, it's, it's one of the key purposes that, that's going to come through the book over and over again. And, and if you're following on the notes, there, I say this, one of these purposes is to proclaim that victory, and you need to add the word and, and that a spiritual battle has been won through Jesus. Folks, the only reason we sit here today and we sing songs and we gather together is because of the gospel that Jesus has won the battle. And we are on the winning side for eternity. And you go, Is that not good news? Is that not good news? But there's another issue that we got to jump into this morning as well, because it gives us something more in this verse. It gives us more truth in here. And the truth, I think this, this next section here should cause our hearts to pause. And ultimately, what it, it needs to push us to worship Him. But in these verses, this first verse, Mark reveals to us the identity of Jesus. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that last phrase, and the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, let me give you the application here right up front, right away. Number two, the identity of Jesus Christ needs to become a big deal in our lives. And here's the tension for me. You know what? I've grown up in a church From very young, and at times we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Son of God, and we kind of yawn. We sit there and go, oh yeah, I guess I know that. But the truth is, it's vital. It's important. It matters for eternity that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. First, that word Christ. You know, I think some people look at Jesus Christ and go, Christ is his last name. And you go, no. There's a reason why Mark adds Christ to it. Christ means the Messiah. So he combines that the victory has been won through Jesus, and he adds then the Messiah that he's telling his readers that Jesus is the anointed one. The one that the Old Testament points to all the time. See, this Jesus who grew up in the family of Joseph, Mark is saying he is the king. He has won the battle. Now, here's, let's just apply this for a second. Think of someone that you might know who never grew up in a church. And by the way, if you're a student here today, a high school student, you're going to find more and more of your student, your friends there in high school, as not even understanding who Jesus is not understanding what Christmas is about, what Easter is about. That's where the world is heading, that they don't understand this at all. But think of this reality of, of sitting down with somebody. What, maybe they're New Age, or, or maybe they're an agnostic, or, or maybe they're a Norwegian, something like that. But, but, but catch this, sitting down with them and explaining the gospel to them. And they've never heard about Jesus. What would that be like? I, I think that's, again, more the reality than we want to admit. But you're talking to them and go, I have the good news for you. That Jesus won the battle over sin and we're sinners and, and you talk about that and then you tell him about he's the Messiah, that that he's pointed toward, that, that it answers, fulfills all of the Old Testament, what we believe is the Bible, that he's the anointed king. And then you tell him this, that this man is the son of God, the son of God. He's the Son of God. And if they have no context, I think they would look at you and go, huh? Son of God? What is that, what is that about? It would be blank looks. See, Mark here is linking Jesus, the Messiah, to being the Son of God. And here's the tension, you understand, for the Jews. One of the major rejections of Jesus was around the issue of Him being the Son of God. They didn't like it. And the Jews today, understand, reject that. Muslims, if you don't realize this, they believe that Jesus is only a prophet. He is not the Son of God. Matter of fact, at times people want to lump Mormonism in with, with Christianity and, and go, no, that's a different Jesus. Recognize that Jesus is a creation in their theology, it's a product of a relationship between God and a goddess in pre existence. And Jesus is a literal spirit brother of Satan and you and me, he's a created being. And you understand what Mark is claiming here is very different than that. But let me ask you a question. I, I threw it out actually on Facebook this week. How old were you when you heard this truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? How old were you when you grasped that? Uh, one said about 12, another said it just kind of came gradually. Now, I realize maybe you're, maybe you're one here who's never grown up in a setting and maybe Jesus never was explained to you. But ponder these words in, in, in verse 1 here. A human man, Jesus Christ, he is the Son of God. Folks, this truth, this fact, the identity of Jesus confuses the world. I, I want to sh- play just a short clip of people, of asking people about this connection between Jesus and God. Nancy, you want to see if we can get that going? Who do you say Jesus was? I have no idea. Who was Jesus? Gosh, I have to start with I'm not sure. Who was Jesus to you? Some guy. Actually, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not really sure exactly who Jesus was. I think Jesus was, uh, was a was kind of a cool guy back in his day. Who was Jesus to you? (laughs) I think I'm done. I don't like to talk about it. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Who do you think Jesus was or is? Uh, Jesus was a historical figure. I believe that Jesus Christ was a man who had an extraordinary ability to link in with the creator. I think he was uh, definitely someone that people... You know, a good role model. I do think he had a lot of great ideas. More or less, he was just a prophet, which is just a messenger of God. Sort of a revolutionary in his day. Jesus was an amazing man. I don't believe he's God's son. I just believe he's a person. As to his, like, God-like quality, I'm not totally sold on that. You think he was a prophet? That would, see, I would not have to be Christian to really believe that. Jesus was the Messiah for some people and for some people he wasn't i'm not necessarily sure if jesus was the messiah or a prophet but in either case he was somebody that spoke the word of god he was equal portions of of human and uh and that energy that is god people said he was sent by god well no one god doesn't send him down you don't go on up (laughs) i mean you he linked in. I mean, I do believe in Jesus in the sense of, like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That I'm, I'm not saying that he didn't exist or anything of the sort, but the fact that, um, I mean, I necessarily don't go and uh, pray to Jesus. Who was Jesus? Uh, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was the son of God. I believe Jesus is the son of God who came to save us all from our sins. Jesus was a savior. who died for our sins and cleaned us, made us pure enough to enter God's glory. The, um... Only way you can get to heaven. Who do you think Jesus is? Um, who do I think he is? I, I don't think he's who he was. I think he still is Jesus. So he's not gone or anything. You know, I guess embodied technically he is, but he's still here. The Jesus story sort of borders on history and myth for me. Um, but I don't believe that it could have permeated our culture so fully and for so long if. There was nothing to that. The link between Jesus and God, that Jesus is the son of God. Folks, the world is confused on this issue. And listen closely, this idea that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is a dividing issue that I I think we can't ignore. The idea that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is an issue. See, the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write this, that it must be important for us. He's wanting us to make a claim about the identity of Jesus. That this man, he really is important. See, and many of those people that were interviewed, Jesus is the Son of God? It's irrelevant. But again, if you've grown up with a church, we get used to the idea, we gloss it over. And this, folks, this is not a statement that we can skip and ignore. It must become a big deal. It's a big deal for the whole book of Mark it's our in our title even the winds and the waves obey him see this is what we must believe and embrace that jesus is the son of god it's a marker of our faith and for our faith and if you believe this claim it needs to be important but let me say it in reverse if you don't believe that jesus christ is the son of god salvation is irrelevant it's useless only reason we're meeting together then would be to be a nice religion where some nice teaching to be nice to each other folks if Jesus is not the son of god there's no faith and if one doesn't believe this that person is is connected to the end of being separated from Jesus forever I want to show you some stats from the Pew Forum. These are a couple years old, but look at what it says. 70% of all Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life, including 65% of all self-identifying Christians. Among all Ameri- Americans affiliated with a religion, 52% believe that Islam leads to eternal life with God. 53% believe that Hinduism leads to God. 42% believe that atheism how do you know you look at that stat and you go, "What?" of all evangelical Christians believe that there are many paths other than faith in Christ to God and eternal life. You know what that says for me? We have a world of people who call themselves even Christians who say they accept the Bible as their authority and that they're still confused and many of them are deceived. And, And Satan wants us to believe that, that it doesn't make a difference. See, verses 1 through 11 functionally is about the identity of Jesus. And Mark believes it's a big deal, that He is the Son of the living God. But Look at verse 2 here, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make His path straight. He he includes the words of Isaiah, prepare for this very important person. Prepare the way of the Lord. Here's Mark's emphasis on the identity of who he is. And and as he moves forward, he writes the account of John as well. Look at verse 7. And he preached saying, after me, this is John the Baptist, he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Does that not say that John the Baptist understood and believed that this man was important? See, Mark is recording this event probably through the eyes of Peter and saying this is the identity of Christ and it's important. Look at verse 9, continue. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And in a voice from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Now, I don't know if you realize this from this passage here, but this is only the second time and the last time in all of Scripture where it reveals the Father, Son, and the Spirit all in the same entity, same place. The only other time that that existed was in Genesis 1 and 2 at creation. Folks, this was the Spirit descending, the Father speaking into this world. Saying, This is my son, and the son getting baptized by an earthly man. But here's where I gotta go one step farther. When I was looking up other just other phrases like the son of Son of God, I, I came across one that's just so very important because this phrase that Jesus Christ is the Son of God intersects with words like conversion, with being born again, with regeneration. Uh, Let me put a statement on the screen. Maybe some of you will be challenged by this, but I I just said it this way. The Spirit of God has to work for people to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. See, in in looking at places, I discovered, I came across a text that just kind of thumped me a little bit. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Let me read this for you. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? I love Simon Peter. Look at what he says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And look at this phrase, the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and replied and said this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Folks, that is a powerful statement. And what does it tell us? Folks, that our salvation, yes, there's a part in that we have to have faith, but understand this, God has to work in the hearts of people in order to reveal to them that Jesus is the Son of God. Folks, this was Peter. He'd been walking around with Jesus for years here. And Jesus tells him that his coming to believe that he was the son of the living God was not some piece of luck. It was not, Peter, from your great wisdom and your great mind that you have. So he says it didn't come from flesh and blood, but from the for some ability from to have knowledge. It was revealed by God the Father. And it leads to an application for us today. Number three, we must be diligent in asking God to work in the hearts of people. See, do you have a family member? Do you have friends who don't care about Jesus, who don't care that he's the Son of God? You know, I think we start with wanting to debate them. And by our flesh, we want to convert them to believe. And we keep believing that we can convert them and convince them without the Holy Spirit working. You know, I, I listened to the debate kind of after the fact this week, and uh, many of you maybe listened to that, but I have to say this there wasn't much in about the power. Do you remember ever where I was talking about the power of Jesus to change people's lives? It wasn't there. See, we keep thinking that we can change people without changing their hearts. We can convince people by just saying that your beliefs are wrong and I'm saying no, there has to be the Holy Spirit working. You know, some people <laughs> when you go on websites and such and watch, listen to stuff in the blogs, I think some people think that they can convert people by sending nasty messages by Facebook or whatever. And I think, unfortunately, there's a few Christians and converted Christians who'd rather see some of the people out there go to hell. And they really don't care about them. But see, Jesus does care. Let me show you two scriptures that I think are relevant, even how we pray. Look at Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. See, God has the power to change any leader, any president, any elected official, any king, whatever. God's ultimately can do that. He has the power to do that. But let me show you another one that applies to us, I think, even more pointedly. Look at Second 2 Timothy 2.1, I urge then for all that petitions, prayers, intersections, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I don't know if you realize this, who the leader that he was, Paul was exhorting Timothy to pray for it was Nero, an evil man. So he was exhorting Timothy and telling that he was writing to say, pray for your leaders that they would be, come to understand who Jesus was. Folks, people won't come to know Jesus, and, and real change within the hearts won't happen unless the heart is opened up. And they begin to see that Jesus was the conqueror over my sin. And He was the one that was sent to liberate me. That He is the Messiah, the King, and that Jesus is the Son of the living God. So we must pray. I'm going to ask the elders to come on up. But here's what I would like you to do just for an application. As they're coming up, I would like you to just think of one person in your life that does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Think of one person. And and we're just going to pause about 20 seconds. And I would like you just to pray for them right now. Just take 20 seconds and pray that the Spirit of God, that the Father of heaven would open up the hearts and they would see who Jesus really is. Pray for that person right now. It's very appropriate that we do communion today because we are celebrating the good news. Jesus is one. He's the Messiah. And he is the Son of God. And I'm going to ask the elders to hand out the bread. And I'd remind you that we practice open communion here. If you know Christ as the Lord and Savior, you have put your faith in Him, I would encourage you to participate with us. We do hold the elements so we can take them together as a sign of our unity. But remember today, Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God.